Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. All right, hey, are you ready for the word this morning? All right, come on, that's, we love the word and the word is our foundation of life and it works, amen. And so go ahead and, and get your Bibles out, get the uh, app, the um, Live Notes app if you have that. And we're gonna look at Matthew 7, 24 through 27. For time's sake this morning, I'm not gonna read that. We didn't read it last week for time's sake, but it's always on your Live Notes and so you can go back. That, that is our foundational scripture for the series. The series is called Home Team and we're just looking at the family and how to build a winning family and building a winning family begins at home. And I gotta be honest with you, when I came up with a name, I dreamed about all these things about tying baseball analogies, home team into it and I got nothing. I just got the home team thing. So, but I love baseball and I guess that's enough, right? Baseball and Jesus, that's what we need. And so, but however, next week we're gonna have a, a home team shirt in the merch store and then we'll have a baseball tee come in. And so, and then on Father's Day, we're gonna do a lot of stuff kind of baseball stadium oriented on Father's Day. So you don't want to miss that, come out. But really the focus obviously then is families and building winning families and it begins at home. Our homes, our families are under such attack. And there's a reason why that is a strategy of the enemy. It's not just a seasonal thing. That's a smart play. Can I say it that way? I don't want to give enemy credit, but that's a, that's a smart play because so goes the home, so goes the family, so goes the community, so goes the country. And so the enemy has plans and schemes to attack our marriages, our home life, and we're under attack like never before. And so the scriptures in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, just talk about the importance of building a strong foundation. That's where it begins. And so we've walked it up into today. I don't want to review anything. I want to jump into today's message. So turn with me to Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Because the reality is it's a spiritual attack. Everything has a spiritual root. It manifests in different ways, but there's a spiritual root there, an assignment from the enemy. Let's take a look at this passage. Let me read that for you, and then we'll break it down a little bit. Here we go, Ephesians 6.10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes, against his plans, against his strategies, because he has a plan, scheme, and strategy for your family. He's got a plan. For our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, stand. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, which is what we're gonna talk about today, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, requests. With this in mind, be alert always. Keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Amen and amen. I wanna start this morning by saying, and you're probably like, seriously, that's where you're gonna start? You are under attack. <laughs> Your family's under attack, your marriage is under attack, your relationships are under attack, that's just the truth of it. You're under attack, you're gonna be under attack, you've been under attack, you're under attack now most likely, and you are fixing to be if you're not, as we say in Texas, fixing to be, right? It's just this strategy of the enemy. Now, I don't mean that to be like this, wow, wow, I'm glad I came today, right? What did he, what did he preach on, that we're under attack? Well, who doesn't know that already, right? But I want you to know that there is an assignment against you and you need to know that. And John 10, 10 says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But thankfully, 
He doesn't leave us there because Jesus then says, but I've come to give life and life more abundant or abundant life. And then it's a promise of the Father. Yes, there's an assignment against you, but there's also a promise for you. And that is for abundant life. And here's what I wanna say. We talked about all the armor. I'm not gonna go into that today, but it's important for us to put on that. Uh, Let me say it this way. You need to be dressed for battle. Whether you wanna acknowledge it or not, you are in a battle. You have just come out of one, or you're in one, or you're fixing to be in one. But John 10, 10 tells us that the enemy has an assignment against you, so you need to be dressed for battle. We are in a battle. The family is under attack, and the battle for your family is of the utmost importance. It is his number one strategy. And you need to be dressed for where you're going. I I, want to say that this morning. It reminds me of a time years ago, my wife and I, uh, I was going to do a wedding. It was in the summer. Um, I was dressed already for the wedding. I had to wear a suit. I was all dressed up in my suit. And we needed gas for the car. It was hot outside. We stopped at this gas station, this kind of rinky-dink gas station. The people that were all there were people coming to float the river, right? They all had their ice chests and their beer, and they're all waiting to get gas and air up their tubes. And I'm trying to, in my nice suit to get gas, and everybody's around me looking at me kindly, funny. And I finally looked at this one car full of people and I said, I'm going to do a wedding. I'm a pastor, because I was like, they're just kind of looking. I'm in a suit. Just I know it's 150 degrees right now. I'm going to do a wedding. And so it just made me think I wasn't dressed for where I was or where I've been. I was dressed for where I was going. And so we're in a world today that we need to not be dressed for where we were or where we are, but where we're going. And we need to be dressed for battle, just to be quite honest. And so I, I went, went to the wedding dressed for the wedding and smelling like the gas station, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, when you spill gas on you, hey, it is what it is. But it is important for us to be dressed for the battle. I want to address a particular part of that. There is a battle going on. I've already said that. And when we talk about, and I think this is important for me to say, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The robber doesn't come to rob a home that's empty or has no value in it. You may not think that what you have in there is very valuable at the moment, but the enemy knows that it is. So there's an assignment. He comes because there's something of great value in your home. That is a peace in your home. That is the family in your home. It's important for us to stand against that, to dress, to stand. We get dressed to stand, not to run. We get dressed to stand our ground, not to run away. One of my favorite lines in the movie Braveheart, I don't know if you know the movie Braveheart, there's this big battle scene and William Wallace is going out to pick a fight. He says, I'm going to pick a fight with uh, the English officers. And he, he says, I don't know before that or after that. And he looks at all his friends and everyone's arrayed for battle. And he goes, we didn't get all dressed up for nothing. So we need to be dressed for battle because we're in a battle. And you didn't get all dressed up to give up what you have. You didn't get all dressed up to give up your home. You don't get dressed up to give up your marriage. You don't get dressed up to give up your family. You don't get dressed up to give up your health, your money, your teens to the devil. We don't get dressed up for that. We get dressed up to stand our ground. You're going to have to stand. And the scripture said this, if you'll remember, the Bible says this, after you've done everything to stand, you realize in this passage of scripture, there's two places where they mention stands or there's two stands. The first one is you need to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, do you realize that you have to do everything you can do to stand? The first stand says that's on you. What are you willing to do? How much energy are you willing to put forth? How much power are you willing to invest? You have to invest your willpower, your determination, your strength, your power. Having done all there is to stand, everything, that's all you. The first stand is all you. After you've done everything to stand, stand. 
You have to have an investment. We don't want to do that. We want God to help us stand. God, help me stand. And he goes, I will, after you've done everything you can do to stand. You have to be dressed up to stand your ground. When you've done everything you can do to stand. And so sometimes if we're struggling, we need to ask God, God, what am I missing here? What what have I not done yet? What do I need to do? I need to repent. Do I need to do something here? I need to do everything I can do to stand. And then even in those moments after that, then there is another stand. But you won't get to the second stand until you do the first stand. Verse 14. Can we put verse 14 up there, guys? I know I'm, I was thinking this morning, I didn't give them all this this way, but I'm throwing them some curveballs. And I thought, oh, there's my tie-in to home team. There's our baseball. I'm throwing some curveballs. There you go. So it says this, stand firm then, stand firm then. When you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. And he begins then to equip us. He he begins to give us things. And and one of the things he said, and I mentioned this earlier, he says the helmet of salvation. Put on the helmet of salvation. Let me say it this way. You need a helmet because a helmet is important to protect your head. Helmet is important to protect your head. So I want to say this this morning. Don't lose your head. You can take that however you want to take it, and it'll make more sense as we work, walk through the message. But don't lose your head. The enemy's after your head. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, let's explain it. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Aren't you glad that we have divine power in this world? Two, the power is there for a reason, to demolish, I love the word demolish, demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension, pretension means every claim that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought into captivity and make it obedience to Christ. Now let's take a look at verse five in the New King James Version. Here's what it says. We cast down arguments and every high thing, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity and the obedience of Christ. Can we go back to the first part of verse five for just a moment? I wanna explain this to you. It says, we demolish, we cast down. Another translation will say imaginations. Casting down imaginations, casting down arguments, casting down, pulling down strongholds, we, the high things that would exalt the self against the knowledge of what? Who? Against the knowledge of Do you realize the assignment of the enemy for you and your family is against your knowledge of God? The battle that you will fight and are fighting and will fight is against the knowledge of God that you have. Because he knows if he can get you not to walk in the knowledge of God that you have, he can mess with you because he's already been defeated. And if you know and realize and understand that and stand in your knowledge of God, there's nothing he can do to you. So he tries to get in there. So what is your knowledge of God then? Because that's where he's gonna attack you in. He's gonna attack your knowledge of God. Imaginations, strongholds, every high thing that would exalt itself above the knowledge of God. The high things coming against you and your family are coming against what you know about God. What do you know to be true about God then? You know he's Jehovah Rapha, God my healer and by his stripes I am healed. You know he's Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace and the midst of chaos, he is my peace. You know he's Jehovah Jireh, the God my provider. 
All my needs are met according to his riches and glory. Do you know he's Jehovah Nisi? He's the banner over me, the protector. He's my healer, protector, provider. He's my refuge, redeemer, defender. That's my God. And the enemy comes to attack you against your knowledge of God. You may have a lot of knowledge of God. You may have little knowledge of God, but he's going to attack whatever you have. And let me say this, just a little knowledge of God is enough to stand against the enemy because he's already been defeated against the knowledge of God. What do you know about God? Do you know you're free? Do you know you're free? Thanks, mom. Do you know you're free? I love you, mom. Uh, the enemy comes, the enemy comes against your freedom. He comes against your health. He comes against your finances, your marriage, your family. He's trying to convince you otherwise. He's making arguments, pretenses or claims that are not true. And imaginations, imaginations. I really love that. I probably should have chose that translation. Imagination, some of our stress, some of our being overwhelmed comes from our imaginations. The what ifs, the maybes. We, we've been scared by the suppose, suppose this or suppose that. We wrestle with what I think or what I've heard or what I wonder or what I feel or what I felt. And we wake up tired because all night we've been fighting, but mostly with our imaginations. We fight with conversations and situations that may not ever happen, but it runs through our mind. And the Bible says there's a helmet that will protect your head called the helmet of salvation, amen. And the helmet of salvation is protecting the truth that we are God's, we're not our own. We don't belong to this world any longer, we belong to the family of God. I'm a, I walk in a righteousness not my own and not deserving of it, but of Jesus and what he did. I walk in an authority that's not my own, but what Jesus did. And so I'm a child of God, so I have blessings and benefits and protections and provisions that are mine. What's your knowledge of God? Protect your head. The enemy's attacking what you know, your knowledge of God. When you look at the head, the idea, the analogy of head, I believe the head speaks to leadership. That's an obvious, and I believe the head speaks to authority. Because your knowledge, walking and operating your knowledge is directly result, is, is authority. Authority is walking in the knowledge that you have. And see, most people live their lives from a heart place and not a head place. But sometimes it's like, well, what's in your heart? And I'm like, well, what's in your head? What knowledge of God are you operating out of? Because sometimes we want to operate out of our feelings and emotion. That's exactly what the enemy wants. In fact, Jeremiah 17, not in your notes, says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? We operate more out of what the heart feels instead of what the head knows. In other words, we operate more out of our emotions rather than our authority. We operate more out of our emotions, our natural physical senses and feelings, rather than our authority, which have nothing to do with that. It's not attached to that. It's attached to our knowledge of who God is and who we are in him. And that's our authority. So the enemy comes against our knowledge of God because he wants us, he wants to challenge what we know about God through our feelings and emotions. So he wants us to operate of our feelings and not out of our authority because he's not afraid of your feelings. He's afraid of your authority. People will confront the enemy with their emotions instead of their authority. And that's what he wants. The devil doesn't respond to your feelings. He's not going to apologize. He responds to your authority. The enemy wants to get you to lose your head, lose your mind, 
So you'll operate and make decisions out of your emotions. And a person who does not function out of their knowledge of God is a person who does not function in the authority God has given them. Hosea 4, 6, not in your notes, but it says this, my people are destroyed from a lack of, or a lack of knowing or walking in their authority. What you think and know about God. You're destroyed because you're not operating out of your authority. You're operating out of your emotions. So if you don't have that knowledge of who God is and who you are in him and what he's done for you and given you, then you're susceptible to the leading, guiding attacks of the enemy and not walking in the victorious authority that's been given you through Jesus Christ. A lack of knowing God and knowing your authority. And then we're led by our emotions, which are subject to every changing circumstance around us. A person who lives solely out of their emotions will miss what God has for them and will operate based on how they feel. See, here's what you need to know. God never promised, never promised us that our feelings will line up with his truth. He never promised us that your feelings will line up, my feelings will line up with his truth or his facts. And if you're waiting for it to feel right, if you're waiting to feel like it, you'll miss it and you won't be able to stand. We must learn to separate, listen to this, we must learn to separate what we feel from what we know. And that's faith, is it not? I feel this way, but here's what I know. And I'm going to go with what I know, not what I feel. We're not moved by what we see, feel, and hear, but only by the word of God, our knowledge of who God is, no matter what we feel like, what happens. I'm moved by my knowledge of God, my faith. The enemy's not afraid of your emotions. He's afraid of your faith. 2 Corinthians 5 says we walk by faith, not by sight, not by our emotions, but by our understanding of who God is. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, which means what? That we're increasing our knowledge of God. We're building on the understanding of God. And the devil's not fighting you over your feelings. He's fighting you over your head knowledge, your authority. And so he's given you images, imaginations, threats of disaster, brokenness, to send you into a panic mode, to send you into fear, worry, and depression, so you'll not walk in the authority that you've been given and the authority that you need and those around you need to have. See, Matthew 4, Jesus knew this, so Jesus did not respond out of his emotions often, certainly in this case. Matthew 4, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. We see that he was tempted three times and the enemy came and tempted him and Jesus did not respond out of emotion. He's in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. Can I tell you, 40 minutes fasting, I am high strung out of motion right there. I'm like, come on, bring those tacos in here. Jesus didn't respond out of his emotion. How did he respond when the enemy came to tempt him? He didn't respond this way. Come on, devil. It's been 40 days, man. I haven't eaten a thing. I haven't drank a thing. Give me a break. Cut me some slack. Have a little compassion. He looked at the devil and he said, it is written. He responded out of his knowledge of God. He responded out of God's word. And he he responded to the devil out of his authority, not out of his emotion or feeling. You don't approach the devil with feelings because the devil has no compassion. He's not moved by your feelings. He's moved by your faith. And your faith is based on the knowledge of God and God's word where it says, it is written. Do you know what is written? Do you know? What is written? You may only know one thing. One thing's enough. If it's written, it's enough. It's enough knowledge, but we need to build and grow our knowledge. So I want to say, don't lose your head. 
No matter what's going on, don't lose your head. I know those emotions and feelings are real. I know that. God knows that. That's why he's given us the ability to put on the helmet of salvation and to stand our ground. 1 Samuel 3.1, let's take a look at this. Uh, in this passage in the scripture, I'm gonna read Eli. You'll see the name Eli. Eli is the, uh, a priest of that day, a judge of that day. Actually, it's the day before kings, so they were ruling the country, the kingdom. So Eli is the priest and judge of that day, running the kingdom, if you will. So let's pick up the story. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, the priest judge over the kingdom. And in those days, now listen to this next sentence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions. Interesting. Because if you study it out through the scripture or through historical writings, when you see under Eli's leadership that the kingdom of Israel began to collapse. And we see the reason why right here, because in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. No one was speaking the things of God. Another translation would say there were, no, there were not many messages and there were not many visions. There were not many things being seen. No one was seeing the things of God. The Lord, word of the Lord was rare. No one was speaking out the things of God. Not many visions. No one was seeing the visions of God. And therefore, the kingdom of God began to collapse. Why? Because there was no head. The head of that kingdom, no one's seeing the things of God, no one's speaking the things of God. The vision comes from your, your head, your eyes, if you will. Word is spoken out of your mouth. Seeing and speaking the things of God come from your head. Seeing and speaking comes from your knowledge of God. In those days, the word was rare and visions were scarce and the kingdom was collapsing. And Eli was leading to people, but the people had lost their head because there was no vision and no seeing, and there was no speaking or declarations of God. He'd gotten away from the things of God. No one seeing, no one speaking, no direction, if you will, no declaration, no direction, no authority. And let's break this down for a moment just to our level today. Instead of talking about the head of a kingdom here, let's talk about the home. And I don't know what your home looks like. I don't know. I don't know how, what. I know God wants you to do well and he loves you. He'll empower you. But somebody, somebody has to operate out of a knowledge of God in that home. There has to be a seeing the things of God for direction and purpose. And there has to be a speaking or declaring the things of God, which releases your authority. So in your home, someone has got to be seeing and speaking the things of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. Those who are at the head of the house, you need to be seeing and speaking the things of God. You need direction and declaration or authority or else you'll be led by emotion. And here's the problem. We're too busy trying to manage our emotional energy. And I get it because things are crazy. But we're too busy trying to manage our emotional energy that we don't have time to see or speak the things of God. Or we, do, we can't even see straight because we're trying to manage our emotions all the things that are happening in life. And I don't mean this to be hard this morning. I hope it's truth. But I'm gonna say this with all the love I can. You can't cry your way out. I've tried. You can't fuss your way out. Try that. You can't reason or logic your way out. You can't beg your way out. You can't plead your way out. You have to see your way out and you have to speak your way out. So put on the helmet of salvation and protect your head. Don't lose your head. The enemy's coming after your knowledge of God by using your emotions against you. 
you have to put on that helmet of salvation and protect your head. We can't have headless homes. We can't lose our head. But we are fleshly beings. We're moved by our senses. But the question is, why do we keep doing what doesn't work? It hasn't gotten you out of that. Why are we loyal to ineffectiveness? Operating, leading out of your emotion does not work. But we keep going back to that. And let me say this, this is your pastor, and I love you. We love to visit effectiveness on Sunday. Where we can get our emotions in check through worship and praise and we can hear the word of God that helps feed our knowledge and understanding. We, we come and we get that, and we get that here, and we get that filled up. We come and we connect with effectiveness again. And then we, Monday through Saturday, live in ineffectiveness. We need to make the shift. We don't live by what we know about God, we live by what we feel about us or our situation. And here's how I know that, because if you were to ask someone, and I ask people all the time, I ask them why, why about something, attending and serving and going and praying and worshiping, and why didn't you go, and why didn't you give, or why didn't you serve, why didn't you pray, why didn't you praise, why didn't you worship, why didn't you love, why didn't you forgive, why didn't you repent, and they say, because I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like it. I'm like, okay. Well, since when do we do based on what we feel? Because <laughs> the enemy then is wanting to do to what you feel like. And I would say this this morning, and not to be hard or whatever, but I'd say, I love my job and I love what I do. But what if you only went to work when you felt like it? <laughs> How long would you have that job? All right? You gotta put food on the table, gas in the car. You go when you don't feel like it because... You need to provide. Or how about this one? What about if your kids only went to school when they felt like it? You'd be homeschooling right then, right? And whether you wanted to or not, that's what it would be like, right? And yet, so many times we do things based on what we feel. And that's the enemy wants to work your emotions so you don't feel like it. I don't feel like raising my hands. I don't feel like praising God. I don't feel like going today. I don't feel like doing that. It's exactly what the enemy wants us to feel. So put on the helmet of salvation. Let's be led by our knowledge of God and not our emotion. Because when you lose your head, things become dark. What does that mean? That means you've lost your vision. And when you lose your head, things become silent. It means you're not speaking your authority. And can I say this, and we all know this, are we living in a darker, darker world where it seems like the church or God's people are becoming more and more silent? Have we lost the head? But we need to be people that see what God sees and speaks what God speaks and declare it with authority. Amen. So that means we need to put on the helmet of salvation to stand against the assignment of the enemy that's coming against us with imagination and high things. We're living in dark times and we have God's people, we cannot be silent. We need to put on the helmet of salvation and live out of our knowledge of God and not our emotions to everything we're facing today. Can I tell you, my emotions are on overload with all the things that are happening today. 
I'm asking God, how do we, how do we, how do we manage all this? And that's what brought me to scripture. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the helmet of salvation. Who do you know me to be? What do you know about me? It hasn't changed. He changes not. We need to see what God sees. We need to speak what God speaks with authority and not live out of our emotion which keeps us in the dark and keeps us silent. So if I was the devil, and I'm not, (laughs) I'd do exactly what he's doing. I would overload and overwhelm your emotions. I would do everything and everything to keep you from tapping into your knowledge of who God is. I'd make you lose your head. I'd make you lose your mind. I'd keep your head foggy, confused, worried, anxious. I'd keep you in the dark. I'd keep you silent. I'd do everything I could so your mind's all tied up, racing 100 miles an hour that you can't even sleep at night. I'd do everything I could to twist your emotions so much that you can't even think straight. But then I read Psalms 23. I'll read it for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know that to be true? Go back to verse 5 if you would, guys. But look at this in verse 5 in relation to today. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Interesting. In light of today's message in the context, it's different for me now. You anoint, anoint as a special empowerment by God, a divine empowerment, if you will. You, you, you anoint my head, my ability to see what you see, God, and my, my ability to speak what you speak. You, you anoint, you give me a special ability to, to see beyond the natural things and to see the illumination of God's presence instead of my enemies. You, you, you and give me a special ability to speak, Father God, because my head, speak with authority, a greater authority than I've ever walked in. And then it says that you anoint my head with oil. oil. Oil is a type and shadow of the spirit or presence of God in our lives. So it says you anoint, you give me a special ability to see what you see, to speak what you speak or walk in authority with the presence of God. And then it says, and my cup overflows. And which when we say our cup overflows, we sing, I'm living in the overflow. I'm living in the overflow. Do you know what that means? That means that you are living in the overflow of what's flowing down your head, of what you see with the power of God and what you speak with the authority of God. It's not just this abundant blessing. It comes from the head down. It's an overflow of the anointing of God, giving you the ability to see through your circumstances and to see God and to speak with authority against the assignments of the enemy. That's the overflow. A greater measure. Overflow me, God. Let me see like you see. In the darkest of days, let me see like you see. In my most difficult times, let me speak with authority, the authority of heaven in my circumstances situation. Let me speak through depression. Let me speak through worry. Let me speak through fear, Father God, and let it overflow into every area of my life. 
overflow. But you know, here's what I know. We are fleshly beings and that's easy to say and exciting to preach. On Tuesday, when we were in staff prayer, I was wrapping up the prayer time and I was praying and I really felt the Lord drop this in my heart. I began to pray it out. I prayed it out a little bit on Saturday. And I felt we were praying for Uvalde. We were praying over the bears that we sent 100 bears. We sent 300 cards, by the way. Thank you so much for your outpouring of love and compassion. You wrote 300 cards to the, the families and the peoples in Uvalde. And I was praying over all those. And in and, and the moment, I couldn't imagine the moment. And to me, it was like a dark, silent moment, an overflow or overload, rather, of emotion. And then I prayed this out. I prayed, send a worshiper. Send a worshiper, God, into that moment. Send a worshiper into that home. Send a worshiper into that memorial service. Send a worshiper into that school. Send a worshiper into a gathering. Because here's what I know about worship. Worship takes your emotions and directs them to God. Worship takes everything that you're feeling out here, everything, and points it then to God. Send in a worshiper, God. And I thought, that's it. That's the secret. That's the thing of worship. You can't worry and worship at the same time. Because worry and worship come from the same place. And so when you get in that place, you turn your worship towards God. It turns all your emotions and gets things back in order. So I know there's people in here today that are overwhelmed with emotion. I know that your mind's 100 miles an hour. I know that you're battling things in your broken depression. But we're going to take a moment and turn our worry into worship. We're going to take a moment and get a, a handle on all our emotions, if you will, and point them back up to God. So let's all stand to our feet and let's press into God for just a few minutes and let's turn our worry into worship. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.